Hello, and welcome to the Lisa Congdon Sessions, a podcast for creative folks about living and working with more intention, curiosity, and joy. I'm your host, Lisa Congdon. Welcome to episode three. I'm so happy you are here. Today, I am going to talk about one of my favorite topics, practice. Okay, so let's start with a question. How many of you have ever had an idea in your head for something you wanted to make, and then you tried to go and make that thing, and it did not come out like the vision in your brain? Some of you are probably laughing because it happens to you every other day. It happens to all of us, especially those of us who are kind of prolifically creative. And that's because these moments are impossible to avoid. And here's why. For creative people, our ideas about what we want to make are often far beyond our skill level, like our taste exceeds our skill. And when this happens, many of us give up, even those of us who are sort of chronically creative. If we try something new, we think, I can't do that. So why even try? Like, that was too hard. When in fact, it's important to remember that doing anything well usually requires hours and hours and hours of practice. It rarely happens immediately, except maybe on accident. And then when amazing things happen on accident, it's actually kind of hard to replicate. So practice is so central to being an artist or a maker that what we do is actually referred to as our art practice. So let's talk about this gap a little bit more between our ideas and our taste and our skills. One of my favorite descriptions of this gap is coined by this American Life's Ira Glass. And he says, and I quote, all of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But it's like there's this gap. For the first couple of years that you're making stuff, what you're making isn't so good. It's not that great. It's trying to be good. It has ambition to be good, but it's not that good. And he goes on to say, that realizing there is a gap between your taste or your big ideas and your skills is really disappointing to people. So they give up. They quit, he says. In some ways, people who become great artists or successful artists are not necessarily the most naturally talented people in the world, if there is such a thing as natural talent. They are the people who are able to recognize that in order to get to their vision, They need to continue showing up to practice their skills. And they are able to push through the fear and pass the desire to procrastinate, to shut down the voices in their heads that tell them they'll never get there. And I think sometimes how many people who could have made incredible art or writing or music or dance never did so because they were so disappointed by their initial experiences. All of us experience disappointment, and frustration. No one is exempt. And here's a little tough love for you. If you think you are the only one who sucks, get over it because you're not. We all suck in the beginning, right? That's part of being a beginner is is sucking. So back when I was first starting out, I would wake up in the morning and grab my laptop off the floor next to my bed and I'd open it up. And the first thing I would do was check to see if I had gotten an email from my then illustration agent about any new work assignments. And, you know, true, I was lucky enough to sign with an agent pretty early in my career, but paid work came to me really slowly, excruciatingly slowly in those years. Yes, even with an agent, but that's, that's a different episode. 
And in all honesty, I hadn't yet figured out my voice. I had still so much work to do. And yet I'd also left my job and I was relying on illustration and my online shop to pay my bills. There were weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks when I didn't have any paid gigs as an illustrator. And even though this was a bummer and really required me to live on a shoestring and off credit cards, to be frank, I began slowly to understand on a deep level that if I was going to get to the place where clients were knocking at my door to work with me, I had to not only make more work, I had to make increasingly better and more interesting work. In other words, the only way I was going to develop my voice as an artist was through practice. Practice essentially means doing the same thing over and over until you are able to do it with some amount of ease. Developing skill and art-making techniques requires practice. Developing your artistic voice requires practice. Developing a command of mediums requires practice. As you practice, you develop facility and ease. I talk about this a lot in my book, Find Your Artistic Voice, which I will link to in the show notes. And I think the best analogy is to compare this process to learning a foreign language. When you begin to learn a foreign language, you feel clumsy and it's difficult to find the words you need to convey your thoughts. But as you practice and learn the language and maybe immerse yourself in the culture that uses that language, you develop what's called fluency. And speaking that second language becomes over time and with lots of practice, almost second nature. And it's the same with practicing your medium and developing your skills at execution. At first you feel clumsy, but as you practice, it becomes easier and easier. And it's almost like, I feel like now there are some things I can do literally almost with my eyes closed. And those are the same things that I struggled with years ago. There are also tons of athletic analogies, which I love because I'm an athlete. And the similarities for me are really important, and they're great reminders about practice. Both the practice that I have to do in my art practice is a great reminder for my athletic life, and vice versa. So as some of you know who follow me on Instagram, I am really into endurance cycling, road cycling for the most part. And last year, I got into gravel cycling. Now, I ride on a women's team, and so I know how to ride a bike at a pretty decent clip. But when I, I started gravel cycling, especially on harder, more technical courses, I felt like a total beginner. You know, gravel is like, there's all these things you have to watch out for, like loose gravel, big gravel, potholes, mud, uh, slimy things like, you know, moss that's growing over things. Climbing is hard because your back wheel can slip and it feels like you're not making any momentum if you're not positioned correctly on your bike. And descending can also be really hard because you feel like you're going to crash at any moment. It's, it's, for me, still quite scary. So about three weeks ago, I, I did a, a ride that left me in tears because I was descending and I was having all this kind of fear and panic because three weeks earlier than that, I'd taken a big crash on the same road that I was riding that day. And I was having a little like, I guess, like PTSD or something about it. And I, you know, was calmed down by my teammates and, you know, they were really encouraging me and letting me know that a lot of this was like fear, but also that I still had to learn some technical skills that were going to get me to the place where I felt confident and also where I wasn't going to fall. So the whole experience of writing 
you know, a bike in this new way has been completely humbling for me and reminds me of like last year when I really got into doing ceramics for the first time in my art practice. Like, I mean, I still am humbled by that every single time I try to do it. Now, here's the thing. The day after tomorrow, I am competing in my first gravel race. And my goal is not to get injured. I could care less where I place, but I really just want to finish and not get injured. And I'm not completely sure I'm ready for this race. I have been practicing a lot, but I'm going into it by looking at it as practice itself. So I'm still going to not try to go too, too fast on the descents. I'm still working on mastering my bike skills. And I feel like a, a, a hard technical race is, is potentially some of the best practice I can get as long as I'm not trying to go too fast. Which brings me to my next point. We don't want to use practicing as an excuse. So I'm going to use this race analogy, but it's actually probably not the best analogy because making art is not a race. It's not a competition. I just want to be really clear about that. But if you wait to quote enter the race because you are still practicing and you don't feel ready, you may never enter the race. So one of the things I also talk a lot about is while you're practicing, you want to also put your work out into the world and you want to take risks and potentially take opportunities that feel out of your comfort zone because those are also great ways to practice, right? Now, obviously, you don't want to take opportunities that you're not ready for and that you can't execute because you've only practiced a few times. Knowing your skill level is important. But if you've had enough practice, you want to also raise the bar and challenge yourself. So I'm all about practice, but I'm also all about continually raising the bar for yourself, whether it means giving yourself a personal challenge or taking on a challenge that somebody else gives to you. Here's a fun tip for practice that you can do on your own. So one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from my former agent was that I should give myself assignments when I didn't have paid work and that I should use the time I had in my schedule to make the kind of work I wanted to get hired to do by clients. This notion of making the work you want to get as an illustrator, fine artist, sculptor, whatever, became a mantra that guided my career. And as a result, I experimented with practicing all kinds of different types of illustration while I, you know, while I wasn't working for clients, including repeat pattern design, illustrations for the children's market, and drawing portraits of people. So eventually I got work in all of these areas. In fact, so much work in drawing portraits of people that I don't even do it anymore because I kind of burned out. But these days, my entire portfolio of client work rests on the back of my personal work. In other words, I spend significant amounts of time making the work I want to make or making the work I want to get, practicing and trying to get better at the stuff that's interesting and motivating to me. And then I put it out into the world and the client work follows. Now, you have to put it out into the world in order for the client work to follow. And that's probably also another podcast episode, but I will get to that at some point in this series. And the volume of your practice is also important. So instead of making just one or two of things and calling it a day, it's really important to make bodies of work. The accumulation of months of daily practice can be transformative in terms of developing your work and your skill and your voice as an artist or a maker. Okay, here's another tip that's related. You want to create a weekly or monthly or even yearly challenge for yourself. 
So I'm going to talk about that next. And I'm, I'm actually going to read you just a, a, a short section from my book, Find Your Artistic Voice, that deals specifically with this. The most direct route to developing your voice is getting into a routine where you make art every single day. The results will be faster if you engage in periods of focused practice in a particular medium or subject matter. So Andy Miller, who is a dear friend of mine and also has the podcast Creative Pep Talk, which is part of the Kolu Podcast Network, he did this Nod project back in his career, which he talks about pretty frequently. And he called it a Nod project because he was kind of giving a nod to illustrators who designed characters that he wished he could make. And he knew that if he made a giant volume of new drawings, he was bound to break away from his influences. And so he did this project where he drew a new character every weekday for an entire year. And in his words, he wanted to make stuff that ended up becoming, quote, habit and interesting and different and mine, end of quote. Not only did that project help Andy find his own voice, it also helped to propel his professional illustration career forward by filling his portfolio with the best of the best from that project. Now, I like to think of personal challenges as the backbone of the development of your artistic voice. And that's because when you focus in for a period of time on making a body of work or practicing a particular technique or using a particular medium, your skills and style will develop. Sometimes personal challenges take the form of creating a cohesive body of work, like a set of paintings or sculptures or collages or photographs or ceramic pieces or repeat patterns or drawings or a combination of many things that you make around a similar theme for a period of time. And sometimes personal challenges take the form of a daily or weekly project where you create something specific every day or a, for a set of weeks or months. For example, in order to get better at drawing portraits, you might draw a portrait a day for a period of weeks or months. You might use a particular set of constraints like using a new medium or the challenge of drawing something in under 10 minutes. Employing constraints is a great way to build dexterity and boost innovation because working within limits forces you to problem solve and think outside your usual way of doing things, much like the monotony that we experience when we make art does. Like monotony is, is actually like a, a really interesting problem because I feel like it forces us out of particular patterns in art making. In 2016, I worked mostly in the color blue for the entire year. And not only did I create over 75 paintings, drawings, and collages held together by color, but working in monochrome also forced me to think outside of my normal bag of tricks about how to make my subject matter work as I played with a limited color palette of shades and values. Undertaking personal challenges also takes the preciousness out of our work. They push us out of this mindset that says every piece of work we make needs to be perfect or finished. When you consistently create a large volume of work over time, it becomes obvious very quickly that each of your works is actually an experiment, right? And not every one of them needs to be successful or ready to hang in a show or even share on social media. Yet over time, as you look back over your project, I guarantee you will see your work and your voice sharpening and developing. 
And inevitably, when you work in this way, you'll periodically produce a few pieces that are actually really successful and potentially even path changing, which is really honestly another marvelous payoff from doing these sort of like daily, weekly, monthly, yearly projects that force you into practicing something in particular. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, doing this kind of work does require working through the feelings that come with being a beginner, right? One of the challenges of being a beginner is continuing to show up and practice even though that disappointment and agony of feeling like your work sucks hovers over you like like a dark cloud. But here's the good news. It's not magic. It's not just, quote, natural talent that someone else has and you don't, if there even is such a thing as natural talent, right? It's just work. It's just work, my friends. Now, go do the work and create some magic. Thank you for listening. I included a link to my book, Find Your Artistic Voice, The Essential Guide to Working Your Creative Magic in the show notes. If you love this podcast, please follow me on Instagram at Lisa Congdon and the podcast at The Lisa Congdon Sessions. Big thanks to my buddy, Nick Lambert, for the original music and to my amazing team at the CoLoop Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the Lisa Congdon Sessions on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave me a review. I hope you'll join me for future episodes. Have a magical day, everyone.